888-888-0112. Thank you very much for listening to Revolution Radio, FreedomSlips.com, the number one listener-supported radio station in the world. The opinions expressed on this radio station, its programs, and its website by the hosts, guests, and call-in listeners or chatters are solely the opinions of the original source who expressed them. They do not necessarily represent the opinions of Revolution Radio and FreedomSlips.com, its staff, or affiliates. You're listening to Revolution Radio, FreedomSlips.com, 100% listener-supported radio, and now we return you to your host. This is Nightlike, and I'm Barb DeLong, your host. I invite you to step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. Nightlight. A reminder that you are never alone. I'm very excited about my guest tonight. Uh, Brad Olson, author of the Esoteric series, joins Nightlight tonight to help awaken those areas within that have become dormant over time. This is a series of books that examines the flaws in modern history and looks at how conspiracy theories, esoteric knowledge, and fringe subjects can be used to help change the dead-end course humanity seems to be following. Brad explores the long and storied alternative narrative of life on this planet as we know as how as Big Brother is here in the form of the New World Order and how they keep the knowledge of humankind's true nature from the mass population. And finally, he looks at all the ways humans are evolving to achieve their full potential. Not a small feat. Welcome to the show, Brad. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Barbara. It's great to be here. Nice to speak with you. Oh, I'm delighted you could be here tonight. I... um, 
I have had a, an amazing time reading your two books. I, I've I've read Modern Esoteric and Future Esoteric, and I I know that some somewhere down the line there may be a third one, but these two are just amazing. And and I I checked out one of your travel books as well. You've you've come a long way. You started with travel books, and then you went into um, the spiritual and metaphysical um, features and aspects in in all over the world. Actually, there's one for the USA, and and there are others as well. And I find it fascinating how you have evolved from how you have evolved over time, and and how your approach to the writing has evolved tremendously. And I have to ask you. Um, Every, every author I've ever spoken to has had a calling of some sort and to, to write, to share, to express their thoughts and philosophies. And over, over the years, I, I can see how, how you are writing and the manner in which you are presenting material and the spirituality and the depth of perception that you have put into your books has, has absolutely, um, just exploded literally um what was there something that triggered you into writing is there was there some something that happened to you at some point in time that that you know compelled you to put words down on paper and share with other people well thank you for such kind words and yes indeed there was i was fortunate enough to have created my own trip around the world in the early 1990s and that led to my first book called World Stompers a Global Travel Manifesto which is still in print and still get letters every now and again from readers who said they read it and then planned and uh, executed their own trip around the world or not necessarily always around the world but some more exotic to get a new perspective on life and certainly when I traveled around the world for three years it was one of the greatest learning experiences uh, a young man could ever experience and I guess my epiphany moment occurred on top of the Great Pyramid in Egypt of course you're not allowed to climb there but uh, <laughs> call it youthful indiscretion <laughs> I did it anyways on the full moon in uh, March 1993 and things just kind of came together for me, and I realized that uh, the path I wanted to take when I got back into the United States was to start this writing career and, and get my first book launched, and I did, and, and that led to other book projects, and it led to a distribution deal, and things just kind of uh, the, did the domino effect and, and opened new doors, and now I'm on television, and my books are reaching a wider audience, and if you would ask me back then if I thought it would all come to this, I would have said, well, it would be great if it did, but it seems like kind of a dream. So it's been a dream come true, I have to say. Well, you're, you're one of the few people, often when I'm working with people, I'll say to them, what do you want to be if you grow up? And, <laughs> and, and um, it, it feels to me as though you have you – have, um, Cornered the market to a certain degree for yourself, especially on the fact that you have followed your passions. And in following your passions, the world opens up to you and spirit always just, just keeps dumping things in your lap because you're, you're, you're going with the flow. And, um, I, I'm, I'm so, so deeply impressed by 
how how your the the manner in which you write has your voice your writing voice has changed from from when you started out to when you did the um the spiritual places in the United States and stuff like that and and what I loved about the um the spiritual sites um you explained each of them you gave some of the spiritual background to them and and for heaven's sake you even gave driving directions which i thought was fabulous the only thing you you missed out on was motels and where to go to the bathroom and <laughs> and it it was really amazing and then and then you you totally did not not a u turn but you you stepped it up Unbelievably, by going into um, the esoteric series, and what was it? What was it that that said to you? Um, the, the, now, I, I will. I will first of all. I have to tell everybody. If you want to have a, a two books that will tell you a little bit about everything metaphysical, these are the two books to get, and and they are masterfully written as only a teacher can write because he gives you a, a ton of information but but not so much that you're satisfied so that you have to then you know grit your teeth and say well damn where does it go from there and it sends you on your own journey of exploration which I, I don't know if you intentionally did, but I must tell you, every master teacher I have ever known had this this skill, this talent, this gift that that gave it. You hook everybody in, and then you go on to the next topic, and it's like, wait a minute, you're not finished. <laughs> and 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 you know, I I think I cursed you a number of times before I realized what you were doing. And, and, you know, just sat down and, and appreciated what it was you were doing and didn't get caught up in it. Because if I had stopped every time you, you frustrated me into wanting more, I never would have finished the first book. <laughs> and, and they probably could have each been two, three hundred pages longer, but uh, I didn't want to do that to you either. But, uh, <laughs> you know, half of my lifetime ago, I was an English teacher in Japan. And I was pretty much fresh out of college. I'd done my first backpacking trip through Europe, came back to the States, moved to Hawaii, broke up with a girlfriend, and then got some great advice to go to uh, Japan and be an English teacher. And I thought it was just a job, but it was explained to me that the Japanese and, and most people in the Far East really hold a high reverence for teachers. They mm -hmm. call them senseis. And I didn't really realize it at the time, but uh, it was explained to me, and I, I certainly know it now, that teaching is one of those professions that is really up there with a surgeon or uh, someone who imparts wisdom in different ways. And it, it, it really is this good karma that comes with it. And that, that's how it was explained to me that uh, you, you also have a responsibility when you become a teacher. And this is true with all the teachers from preschool all the way up to university and graduate degree, that when you do that, you, you're imparting your knowledge. So it, it, it was explained to me that you're giving a part of yourself to your students. You're helping them grow. You're helping them learn and become better people. And anytime you do that in life, it's a really good thing. Oh, absolutely. I, I spent 25 years in the classroom and teaching, not learning, teaching. <laughs> and, 
And uh, you're absolutely right. It is. It's a joyful experience because it's it's not. It, it's absolutely the fact that you're imparting knowledge, but but you're learning from everybody you're teaching as well. And I don't think I have ever um, had an experience where where someone had asked for information that I didn't learn from them as well, and feel like there was a great richness that I had been given. And I always hope that that what I have shared you know, is in equal measure, hopefully, you know, maybe. Um, but what I, the one thing, now I've, I've used the term esoteric a lot. And while, because I'm in the field and because, you know, I know what the term means, um, I'm very familiar with what you're talking about. But, but you want to explain just what the word esoteric means to everybody so they know what, what area of this we're going into? Sure. Well, of course, uh, some people might associate the term with occult, and occult just means hidden, and that is similar to what esoteric means. It means it's a, a, a select genre that is selected by a, a few people, because when this kind of esoteric knowledge, say, for example, the concept of the earth being round, when we went from flat earth to round earth, that became exoteric. That means everybody suddenly knows that the Earth is round. Well, it's funny that now there's some people that say we're flat Earth again, but <laughs> I'm not buying that. No. And and anyways, so this, this this is information that's sought out by a select few. And I realize my books are are pretty deep and dense with this kind of wisdom and knowledge, and it's not going to appeal to the mass reader. But it will appeal to those people who realize that there's a lot more to this world than we're being told. And that, that's the phrase I coined called the alternative narrative, that there's another storyline that superposes upon the regular storyline that we've been taught through our upbringing, our indoctrination through school, through the mass media, from what the government tells us. I think most of your listeners will realize that there's a lot more to it. Uh, and UFOs is a great example. Millions of people have had sightings worldwide, yet it's not recognized. And that's why in the book Future Esoteric, I've included all those things in the paranormal, in the future tense that someday we're going to have this kind of disclosure where UFO studies will become the exoteric. And when that happens, it's going to just transform humanity. In fact, it'll be such a transformation. I think it'll be like we're going to start at year zero again. Uh, Post-disclosure will just open so many doors and change humanity in so many different ways. It's a great time to be alive, to be able to witness it. Oh, yeah, I totally agree with you. And you have used the term in, in, in some of the interviews that I've listened to. Uh, of awakening and I, I I would agree that that humanity as a whole and 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 really even more specifically and more intently here in the US that there is an awakening going on in the consciousness of, of everyone and and depending on where they are consciously you know it's either more or even greater than it was before not only understanding that that there is so much more out there, but in many ways that so much has been hidden from us and yeah. and people are are thirsty and hungry for for wisdom and information and i you know i i i sometimes no i lots of times i have the feeling 
that what we're, what, what we are, uh, you know, kind of tagging into and, and, and hooking onto is the fact that, that we carry all of this information inside of us and we've forgotten it. And so we're, we're remembering that there's something we forgot and we go looking for it. And so often we go looking outside of ourselves instead of looking inside of ourselves. But, but, but a lot of this, this ancient wisdom, ancient knowledge, and I'm talking ancient, ancient, not just, you know, the pyramids, but beyond that, more, more back to the very beginnings of, of when we became a consciousness, that all of that information is there and that, that we're striving to reach for it. And, and, and society today, especially in this country, um, has been prevented from remembering on purpose. Mm. Yeah. And, yeah, and, and, that, and that's no accident. I, yeah, I know. And so I'm going to hit, I'm going to skip back and forth between the two books. The, the very, the first, the first book in the series is Modern Esoterica. But Future Esoterica was published first. Right? Right. Only because I had more information ready to go. Okay. Uh, but really, Modern Esoterica is book one in the series. Okay. And, and, um, Future Esoteric is, is coming out again. Um, just did in the second edition. So I had more photos, some more information to put in there. Uh, did a complete re-edit. So all wow. the information that had been current events has been updated. So okay. that book well, just came out April 1st. Now, um, it, and, and everyone should read them. I mean, it, it, it does an ama- you do an amazing job of going through, you know, um, from, from the very beginning up to present times. And, and, uh, one of the things that you, you speak of the shadow government and yeah. want to, want to explain what that is? Sure. Well, we've all heard such, uh, things as the black budget, uh, the two point, was it three trillion that went missing the day before nine eleven? Yes. Uh, they just made another announcement a few months ago of another eight point something trillion that went missing. Well, these are going into the black budget. <clears throat> and the only way to really uh, quantify where this money goes is they're going into these uh, special access projects, SAPS. And several of these are out of the purview of Congress, certainly out of the uh, notice of the public. And they're things such as the underground bases and the secret space program, which has been ongoing now for several decades. And this is using the backward engineered technology that has been acquired from down crafts, as well as other means, such as there has been communication with ET groups. And they're here right now on this planet up above us. Observing most of them, but some are also hands-on. And so there's still this paranoia that goes back to like the Cold War era that we have to outdo each other on this planet. Uh, I think you and I know that all of us are one. And until Mm -hmm. we start to realize that, uh, these things are just going to fall the wayside. There is no us and them. It's just all of us together. But that's just us saying that. It's not... uh, what these people in these this secret government are up to. And 
So the reason I put this in the book, one, it is an esoteric subject when you think about the things that I just mentioned. But I think more importantly is we have a right to know about these things. And if we're not going to get this information through the regular channels of information distribution, well, I take it upon myself and, and I hope others will take it upon themselves to do some research, to look into this. And what they're going to find is this big, shadowy, dark, secret government that's lurking behind the scenes for just about every big decision and change that's going on in the world today. Now, is this a shadow government for the world or just the United States? Well, it's certainly here in the U.S., but I would say that now it's gone global because it's really not the government anymore. It, it's somewhat uh, disingenuous to blame it all, all on the government. The government is just merely a tool. The government mm -hmm. is also taking its orders from higher powers. And now what we have are these supranational corporations, these worldwide international corporations, which are creating a foothold just about everywhere on this planet. And it's ruled by this concept of fiat currency, which in this country are the Federal Reserve notes, which are based on nothing at all mm -hmm. except our perception that they have value. And it's pretty much an endless supply. So they're able to do what they want. So a lot of the aerospace companies, which have acquired much of this backward engineering technology, they're making their decisions behind closed doors. They're really not accountable to anyone. You could say perhaps they're stockholders, but if you're a big investor in, say, Lockheed Martin or Boeing, well, you know, you're in on it too. <laughs> and they're, they're making good money on it. So as long as they're getting their dividends and other uh, paybacks, then they're probably not going to question too much. Now, this organization, is this organization different from – this organization has the Majestic 12 involved with it. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. So what about the um, – the bloodline, the thirteen families, what are the thirteen families mm -hmm. in the in the yeah. bloodline. Now, is that a different group? That that's, or is it the same, or or do they have dual membership? I would say they're probably the same, and, and you could say that um, there are some here in the West, there are some in Europe, and there could be some in uh, a worldwide. But uh, mm -hmm. in in future esoteric, I did that. Uh, I. I recap that study that was done by these Swiss researchers that basically followed the money. Okay, And it so, basically goes to – go ahead. No, no. I was just – I was just – I was looking. It's the 1% I'm talking about, the, the Rothschilds and the Roosevelts and the Bushes and that group of people. Still there? Did I lose Brad? Did I lose Sean? Did you guys lose me? I think we all got lost. Well, I'm going to keep talking because there's nothing worse than dead air. Um, 
hopefully Sean is out there someplace trying to find me. Um, we're looking for, I'm looking for this, this group of people that are so wealthy and rich that they are above everyone and everything. Hi, Sean, are you there? Yes, Barbara, I'm here. I'm trying to reconnect with Brad right now. Oh, okay. Then I, I just wanted to make sure I, I, I wasn't just talking to the cat. Um, so in, in Brad's books, he goes into so many topics that it's, it's the most fascinating thing I have ever seen. And, and he goes into, um, and I'm going to get him to talk, um, in the second hour about, about the different alien groups because there's so many that I just was not even aware of, um, that, that fascinated me. It was, it was not just the greys and the reptilians, but, but it was different levels of aliens. And, and I think what, what, boggled my mind was that in many ways the earth plane is 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 kind of like a, a playground for these these different um races of species of of alien entities and it it appears that they have contracts with our government or the world and that there have been times when there have actually been battles amongst the, the different groups of aliens that have taken place um, beneath the surface of the earth where where theoretically there are bases of all sorts that um, that they have they, they are living in that are environmentally appropriate for their species. Um, I, I have to admit I was fascinated with the fact that there are so many underground bases in this country. I don't doubt it. I just was surprised that, that there was material out there that would support that kind of a, of, of a statement. Uh, the, the research that he has done into the, these books is, is mind-boggling. And as soon as we get him back on, I want to talk to him about the bloodlines as well. Because I'm here, Barbara. Oh, hi. Oh, great. <laughs> Hello. Uh, here I'm this giving happens every... to me a lot. When Does I start really? talking about these, uh, oh, yeah, almost every interview I do gets cut off for some mysterious well, reason. That's okay because I did my research. Um, <laughs> now, I, I, I can't do your half of the interview, but I can ask intelligent questions. So, so we were talking about this 1% group, which is the Rothschilds and the Roosevelt's. And my question for you on this, as well as shadow government, um, I know that the Rothschilds money goes goes way back. It almost goes back to Templar time, doesn't it? Well, the funny thing about Rothschilds, or I mean the Rockefellers, is the father to John D. He was like a snake oil salesman. People would nickname him the devil. <laughs> and if we're talking about these bloodline families and, and, and the possibility of them having some reptilian blood, well, that kind of makes sense. Uh, the Roth, the Rockefellers don't go as far back as the uh, Rothschilds do. They they go all the way back uh, several hundred years um, when they rose to uh, popularity around the time of Adam Weishaupt in 1776 when he formulated the Illuminati, the Bavarian right. Illuminati. And uh, the only reason we know so much about the Bavarian Illuminati is one of their couriers was passing some messages along by horseback, and the horseback rider was struck by lightning and killed, yet all the documents were found on his person. 
So we know that they've been scheming and manipulating and working in these closed secret society systems for hundreds of years. But I would propose it goes back even further than that. I think it goes even as far back as uh, Babylon. And that's when we have the creation of the Babylon money magic, this whole concept of creating this fiat currency to control people with. Okay, yeah, that was my my curiosity was okay. Rothschilds, Roosevelts, Bushes, Kissinger, all all of these guys. I mean, they are current, and yet um, the 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 star people, the extraterrestrials, whatever you want to call them, have been here since the beginning of time, and and not just as UFOs, they've been on the planet and in the planet since right. then. They have. So, so, um, was it the fact that, um, the human population wasn't intelligent or evolved enough to be able to man- be manipulated? How did this, how did this start? I know that Eisenhower supposedly made a contract with, with the extraterrestrials for the, for the reverse engineering and stuff like that. But was it, was it our entrance it wasn't our entrance into the space age that brought them into a greater synchronicity with us. They've been here for thousands of years. Well, they have. And it could be that they've just been working with the top bloodline families as they have existed throughout the ages. Uh, because the, the Griotta Treaty and, and Eisenhower's uh, relationship with them has just been in, in the last century. Yeah. Uh, but this goes way, way back, as you mentioned, and as well as their presence here on Earth, uh, mainly underground, of course, out of sight, but still ruling uh, the planet the way they see fit. And, and that is why so many things have gone awry on this world. It's not the human agenda. There is an ET agenda. And you could say that the Rockefellers and the Rothschilds are like the captains and the majors. And the real generals are these creatures that are calling the shots from down below. Whereas these, uh, these bloodline families, they're enriched. They're very powerful. They do a lot of the controlling, but they're also getting their orders too. Okay. Now it's, okay. That makes sense. Okay. So now, now we've got these, these 13 bloodlines, where do they go back to? Well, they go back to as far back as ancient Egypt. Let's keep in mind that the pharaohs were considered living gods, right? Yeah. And then the Caesars were also considered living gods. So the, the, the rulers of ancient Egypt, which parlayed into ancient Rome, were these living gods. And now we have a pope. Who sits in Rome? Who is the earpiece to the gods above? And we still offer this person so much reverence that he's supposed to be. Brad went away again. <laughs> yes, the Pope is supposed to be God's representative here on the earth plane. And, um, it, well, yeah, he's, that's, that's, that's what he's elected to, but you know he is, after all, human as well. Uh, when Brad does come back, I do want to talk about the bloodlines because uh, the bloodlines do go back; they they go way back. And um, 
it, it's my understanding, and of course he will correct me if I'm wrong, but I'll speak for him since he's not here right now, um, that the bloodlines are, are engineered lines, genetically speaking. And these bloodlines are, are, they marry true. They, they hold to their bloodlines. They, uh, do not, do not marry out of their bloodlines. They, they keep themselves as pure as they can, um, because the, the control is in the blood. And it's, it's a matter of the, of fact that the, the, the bloodlines of, of these, of these families, um, is is slightly different from the rest of the population and and it has to do with the rh negative um gene and so that there is there is and, and this is where i i kind of got the feeling that at some point in time um our dna had not our but the dna of a select few had been altered or, or tampered with so that there is a greater connection to the ETs. And, you know, we've all, we've all, you know, all, almost all of us have figured out that, that Darwin wasn't right, that we didn't really come from the apes, that, and yet they haven't been able to find, um, that missing link and, and, you know, I, I don't think there is a missing link. I think the the absolute fact is that we did not uh, come from the apes, though there are similarities, but that at some point in time, uh, there has been a manipulation. Uh, is Brad back? Yeah. Okay, okay. Stop me. Stop me. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going into the bloodlines. I'm going... I heard most of what you said. Okay. I'm, yes. I'm, and I figured you, you, yeah, I heard you breathe. You have to stop me when I'm covering for you because I'm talking for you and that's not appropriate. Um, my, my, okay. I, did, I did do my homework. I'm really glad I did now. Um, so explain to, to us about the bloodlines. I, it was my understanding that at some point in the early, early time that, that, a few or, or 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 a significant number of people, their DNA was was work, worried worried with worked with changed somehow, and that's where the Rh negative factor came in. That's correct, and there is a link to the primates, and that is what Rh stands for for the rhesus monkeys. It's an abbreviation, and eighty five percent of humans on this planet are RH positive. That means there is a little bit of this primate blood which is in us. But there are also 15% of us that do not have the RH factor in our blood, including my own family. And here's what's so strange about it, Barbara. Humans are the only animal species on this planet Earth where a mother can taint its own offspring and kill it by mixing blood. This is what's so strange. It happens in no other animal except humans. And this was the case with my uncle Douglas, who died five days after being born, because during birth, his blood mixed with my grandmother's blood, and it killed him. He was what was known as a blue baby. 
because mm-hmm. all the antigen in his body were attacking this blood, this foreign blood that was basically treated as uh, some kind of infection that was going to kill the host. And indeed, it did. And my Aunt Diane was one of the first survivors as a blue baby to get a full blood transfusion. So she was born with RH positive blood. To this day, she's RH negative. But she's had health problems ever since. So the point is, there are two kinds of human beings among us. We're mostly compatible. Most of the time, even a RH negative mother, there are shots you can get now to prevent uh, a blue baby phenomenon. But the fact remains that there are these differences among us. And if you look deeper into it, the mystery just gets more and more interesting, such as there are very few RH negative Asians or Africans. I think it's only like 1%. But there's a huge amount in certain parts of Europe, such as the Celtic countries and more specifically the Basque countries, where you have multicolored eyes, red and blonde hair, and almost always white-skinned people. Well, Edgar Cayce said that the survivors of Atlantis went to this region of the Pyrenees between Spain and France. This is the Basque region. So that would kind of make sense uh, that these were the survivors of Atlantis who were not descendant from apes and had no Rh-negative blood in them, but had intermingled and intermixed. So I think what we're going to find, and I do have uh, chapters on DNA mysteries in modern esoteric as well as a chapter called Blood of the Gods Uh that explains a lot of this. What we're going to find in the future is that humans are just like this genetic masterpiece of a whole bunch of different uh, species mixed into one. There was a news story just last week saying that uh, the Neanderthal DNA is still prevalent. And we have the reptilian brain in the back of our head. That's part of our our brain is is this fight or flight mechanism that uh, will quickly get us out of a situation or if we're backed into a corner, we'll pump up our adrenaline and have to fight to survive. So... I don't know if he's gone. Is he there, Sean? So it's interesting, but um, I think what we're going to find is that uh, we have not only some indigenous in us that that traces back to the apes, but also some extraterrestrial and even reptile. Well, I I think even above that because. Um the giants who were obviously on this planet as well. Um, you still there? Yeah. Okay. The giants that, that at some point in time 
were all over the planet. Um, they had a lot of physical features that were very common to all of them. Even you go back to the Bible and the giants in the Bible, they were described as fair skinned with red or blonde hair, with double rows of teeth and with extra digits on their fingers and their toes. Um, they have discovered um, giant skeletons all, all over the U.S., all over the world, actually. And and they have had the double rows of teeth and the extra digits. And what I find fascinating is that that DNA component, whatever it is, um, I have a friend who everyone in her family has been born with extra digits and double rows of teeth. So that so that even the giant um, aspects have are incorporated into. Um, who we are today. It, it's in, it's recessive in some and it's not recessive in others. Yeah. And just like with RH negative people, they sometimes are born with an extra digit in their spine, like an extra tailbone at the bottom. Sometimes even with a, another little small rib. RH negative people are the most, uh, popular type of people to be abducted. They also cannot be cloned and they're more prone to psychic phenomenon as well as uh, being able to astral travel and clairvoyancy. Many of these what we would call superhuman abilities come quite naturally to RH negative people, which makes this subspecies of human even more interesting. Now, are you saying that the Rothschilds, the Roosevelts, the Bushes, that they are primarily RH negative people? Correct. And they always interbreed. You cannot fall in love with a Rothschild daughter and expect to marry into that family and have children. They very much select only other bloodline people to be involved in their families. They're very, very serious about this. Well, and, and, you know, while there may be only 13 bloodlines, there could be thousands or hundreds of thousands of people that, so, so they almost have to have a blood test before they'll let somebody get married, basically. That's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's amazing. That's amazing. I, I know that, that this group of people operate above the law and, and have, have absolutely no desire to to even you know be sullied by it they control what is what is fascinating is they control so much that that it is almost frightening and i'm going to wait till brad comes back again he seems to be in and out here <laughs> this evening <laughs> um they they control newspapers they control uh, the oil, they control the gas, they control Monsanto, they control the space program, they control so much that, that the rest of us just, just, you know, don't seem to count and it's a little bit frightening. I've often said, um, to people that, that, that the, those of us that are just normal here and trying to survive on the planet and, and have good, rich lives, um, and not necessarily monetarily rich, just, just spiritually rich and happy. Um, 
we we're sort of like pawns in a in, on a game board involved in a game and we don't know what the rules are we don't have the faintest idea what it is that's going on around us that we are a part of and that, that we're being manipulated and we don't know who's manipulating us or why and you know it 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 does come down to is it world domination do they want to control the world and if they do do they want to control the world in a good way and I, I guess controlling the world it can't be in a good way because that means it's taken away our free will and we have to maintain our free will or or um or we're just dominoes. We're just we're just pieces of a puzzle in a game. But we're more than that. And and those those that, that you know have eyes to see and ears to hear, so to speak, um are are obligated in many ways to be aware of what's going on, of even though you don't know all the answers, knowing that it's important that you question things, knowing that it's important that that you challenge things. Sean, are you calling him? Hi. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, okay. Hello. Hi there. Are Sorry you back? about. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. I'm back. That's okay. I, I'm really good at improv. Um, so, so, so I was going into the fact that, that these, these families, these powerful, powerful people, um, are, they, they, okay, you, you have to look at them and say, well, what is it you want? You have so much. Right. What, what is it that you want? And, and I, I was saying, I said earlier that, that it, it makes me feel as though I am a, 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 a piece in a game on a game board and I don't know what the game is. Well, you are. And you're not supposed to know the rules or how to win or get out of it. And what their motivation is, is world control. And that's exactly what they spell out in the New World Order. So, I mean, this is where it gets really dark. And then when you also consider their workings and machinations with the occult and in secret societies and magic uh, and even religion, that this goes real deep. And this, this is how it ties in with these malevolent ETs that have been here on this planet for over 7,000 years. And these are the Draco reptilian ETs. And sooner or later, we're going to have to come to grips with the fact that they've been here for a long time. They consider themselves of Earth, too. So they're exempt from the whole concept of free will, that uh, they're here, too, that they can impose their will because they were born here on this planet, underground, but still on this planet. And it's this whole concept that goes back to uh, the Star Trek show called The Prime Directive that was uh, where the Enterprise was not allowed to meddle in any evolving species. And that happens to be a real universal law. However, since they're born here, since they live here, and since they've been in control for so long, they're very reluctant to give up on that control. And so they've used these bloodline families to do their bidding, and they will, once 
a person has committed to working with them. This is where, in my book, Future Esoteric and the Conclusion, I draw the the conclusion that uh, Satan and Lucifer and the devil are really these Draco ETs and their their little helpers down there in the fiery inferno are are the greys doing the abductions, cattle mutilations. And the people who decide to work with them really do sell their souls out to the devil. And they're making a huge mistake, not only to themselves karmically, but they're selling out the human race. And even though they may get all of their heart's desire in their lifetime from wealth to uh, the opposite sex or whatever their orientation is, sometimes little children, to the kind of power that we could only dream of, if that's the kind of dreams that you have, they'll get all that. Because what will happen is, and, and in my capacity as a publisher, Barbara, I also publish uh, Leo Lyonzagami's books, and he has a, a three-part series called Confessions of an Illuminati. And he spells out in no uncertain terms that they do these rituals, that they do sacrifice children and other people. And it is a blood cult. And it is to gain power. So when they do this, they are then shadowed. This is the term for it. And one of these malevolent ETs in fourth dimension, and this is where it gets pretty complicated, but scientists have already determined there's at least 13 dimensions right here, right now, amongst all of us. We can only perceive ourselves here in the third and sometimes little glimpses into the fourth but these draco ets are very much fourth dimensional beings so they can shadow people and do their bidding for them if they sell out to help this uh, uh regressive et agenda progress but now that people are waking up uh it's not so easy for them to do this anymore well, it, yeah, I just, you know, it, I, you just, when you were talking, it just threw me back to King Solomon and how he had a ring yeah. that the gods had given him so that he could control the demons to build his temple. That's right. I also published a book by Lon Milo Duquette called The Key to Solomon's Key. And the second half of the book are all these sigils are symbols and, and uh, chants that somebody can do to invite some of these spirits into their lives to help them do their bidding. And when they do that, again, they're making a big mistake because not only are they affecting their own personal karma, but they're also going to be harming other people by doing so. And then the, the other thing is they can be very difficult to get rid of. You may not want them around you all the time, and they can be sometimes quite mischievous. So the thing is, I, I grew up an atheist, Barbara. I, I wouldn't have believed any of this stuff 10 years ago. But working on these books and working with these authors and getting to understand what these guys have been through and seen and done, I, I realize it's a very complex universe out there, especially when you factor in all these dimensions. Yeah, and... and well, you know, the thing that, 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 that I keep coming up against, and, and um, Patrick was a biblical theologian, so he was very stuck in, in the Bible and, and all of that stuff. And 
um, what what I'm coming to realize, at least for me, and I have to I have to preface this with this is my opinion for right now. Tomorrow it may be different, but this is my opinion for right now. That religion, as we know it, is is only for this planet, yeah. and that 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 spirituality goes beyond religion. It it isn't instead of it just stretches beyond it. That that religion is another form of control. And you spoke about three different power power centers organizations. You spoke about the Vatican. Yeah. Um, um, London City, City of London, and, and Washington DC. And Washington, want to explain about that? That that was kind of cool. Yeah, well, this is what's called the Empire of Three Cities, and what you have to realize is all three of these places: the one square mile city of London is the financial control, and it is outside the purview of this greater city of London and. The United Kingdom is its own city-state. Same with in Washington, D.C. It's not a state. It's its own entity. And Washington, D.C. is in charge of military power to enforce their will in creating this new world order. And, of course, the Vatican is its own separate city-state within the city of Rome, within the country of Italy. But it's not beholden to the laws of Italy nor the city of Rome. It's its own entity with its own ambassadors and its own consulates around the world. Um, you might ask, well, what does the Vatican have to do with uh, the policies of other countries? Well, they have a lot to do with it because the actual literal translation of the word Catholic means universal. And let's not be fooled. Their goal is a one-world religion. And in fact, Leo Lyonzagami has spelled out very clearly in his book, Pope Francis, The Last Pope, published by CCC Publishing, that they are indeed well on their way into launching a one-world religion. And they're building another temple in the city of Rome, which of course will have the diplomatic immunity such as the Vatican. But more importantly, there's a city in the country called Kazakhstan. It's a city called Ashtana. And it is what CNN describes as the weirdest city in the world because it has all these religious symbols of all the world's religions. It has a pyramid. It has obelisks. And this is where the leaders of most of the world religions are now convening every year. And they're talking about this kind of thing. And if you look carefully at what's going on in the Vatican, some very strange things are happening, such as the Pope is inviting Muslim imams to come into St. Peter's Basilica and pray towards Mecca. This has never happened before. Why is it happening now? Because they're setting the stage for some kind of event, perhaps a Project Bluebeam holographic hallucination in the sky to get us all believe that some Savior is coming down here to save Earth, and I'm here to tell you, before it happens, when it happens, it's fake. So yeah. don't fall for it. <laughs> is, this they are those, trying... <clears throat> is this another one of those false flag things? Well, it goes beyond a false flag, because false flag is, is blaming someone else for 
a tragedy that you create. This is getting us into the mindset that we have to bow down to a worldwide authority that is not only going to be those three things, the financial control over the world, not just the Western countries, the whole world, the military might. America's still got the biggest army, but they are now being challenged by Russia and China. Mm-hmm. So there are cracks forming in their plan. They are behind schedule. But they're certainly going to try it before the time is out. And we've heard of this guy, Benjamin Quam, who goes around talking about the return of Maitreya. Yeah. Well, it's fake. And this is what they're going to say, is that, that this world leader is here to save the day and eradicate poverty. And it'll all sound so flowery and bright and beautiful, but uh, it's just a scam to get us all on board. I, I heard him talk 30 years ago, and it was going to happen tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> tomorrow never came. No, no. <laughs> no I, yeah, you I, 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 there are always going to be guys like that, but what, what's what's horrifying is for for every every thirty or forty of these these delusional fakes, there's one real one. And how do you tell the difference? I think one of yeah. the things that that has frustrated me terribly over the last couple of years, knowing that that the the those that are in power um, c- control. All of the, all of the television stations, they right. control the radio, they control the newspapers, they, they control, the scientists are no longer allowed to, to discover things that will help humanity. Right. Uh, so, so who do you trust and where do you go to for the truth? Well, it may sound counterintuitive for those of a scientific mind. But I think we, in the end, we just have to trust ourselves. We have to trust our intuition to just get that gut feeling to tell us what's right and what's wrong in some instances. I mean, of course, we all want to believe science is the right way and that science can help us understand some complex issues. We're taking a short break. We'll be back in three or four minutes. the necessary information to assist you in confidently living through just about any survival situation. Is survival and gardening, off-grid living, medical knowledge, or even natural or man-made EMPs on your list of personal concerns? Do you have your documents and your personal information in a safe place in your hands where you know where it is? Well, check out our preloaded EMP-proof thumb drive. 
Over three gigs of survival documents and how-tos, plus the USDA offline food preservation website, and much, much more, including a surprise bonus we just can't tell you about here. With plenty of room left over to store your most important documents. Imagine if a mega virus or a computer failure took out your bank, or all the banks for that matter. Are your banking records safe in your hands so when they get things fixed and repaired, you can say, hey, look, this is what I had. You have it. I want it back. Is your personal data safe? Family records? Addresses? Phone numbers? Well, squeeze on over to freedomslips.com. Yes, that's www.freedomslips.com. Click the banner on the homepage for the EMP proof bullet drive to get the full scoop of everything that we offer. So, folks, keep your data safe for your peace of mind. Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com. You don't need to expect us. We're already here. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent news story, and I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. On the go? Still want to listen? Don't have one of those fancy phones with too many buttons. Don't know what an app is? Or you don't even care? Well, we got you here at Revolution Radio. Now you can dial in 24-7 to listen to our shows. We have a number for Studio A and Studio B. And best of all, it's free. Don't forget, your carrier charges for your cell phone provider may apply, though. So check with your cell provider to make sure. So ready? Here you go. Get a pen. Here's the number. Studio A is 712 712- 432-6958 and Studio B is 716-748-0112. Thank you very much for listening to Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com, the number one listener-supported radio station in the world. King Arthur had nothing on us here at Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com. The opinions expressed on this radio station, its programs, and its website by the hosts, guests, and call-in listeners or chatters are solely the opinions of the original source who expressed them. They do not necessarily represent the opinions of Revolution Radio and freedomslips.com, its staff, or opponents. Listening to Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com, 100% listener supported radio, and now we return you to your host. And this is Nightlight. Thank you for tuning into Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com. 
please help endorse our efforts and airtime by visiting the station's support page and making a donation. From the station owner to all levels of management, the entire production crew, and every host. We all work without compensation of any kind, except, of course, for the joy of being a part of a very unique and special station, one that supports a true sense of freedom and truth. Any donation, even a small one, is greatly appreciated and keeps freedom ever-present out there for those who seek independent thought and new paradigms and philosophies. We're back, Brad. I sure hope you're there. I sure am. Okay. (laughs) You seem to slip in and out here. It's almost like it's a dimensional shift you're going through. (laughs) Every time I talk about the bloodline families and reptilians among us, Something always happens with the lion. Well, before before we even get into more of this stuff, which I want to do, um, I, I do want to mention again that 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 future esoteric is going is has is being released again. It is a an updated version, and that there's a, a lot more material in it. So those who bought the first book have to buy the second book to get the new material. But but they can also, and I want to give out your website. Uh, you want to give it out. Uh, CCC Publishing, that's three C's publishing, one word, dot com, to uh-huh. check out all the books, including Leo Zagami titles and Lon Milo Duquette's titles and all of my books. And if you order through the website, which is priced a little bit lower than Amazon, well, you also get a signed book in the mail if they're coming from me. So that's a plus. And if you just want to learn more about me and what I'm up to, bradolson.com, that's B-R-A-D-O-L-S-E-N.com. And I'm also the event producer of a big event here in San Francisco called the How Weird Street Fair, which is coming up. In 20 days, on Sunday, May 1st, at Howard and 2nd Street, downtown San Francisco, 13 stages and 25,000 people dancing in the street in costumes, a whole lot of fun. I'll be working all day, but uh, come and have a good time. This started as a very small little event a number of years ago, I see. <laughs> yeah, everything starts small, Barbara, and just gets bigger and bigger, more complex. I uh, it 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 sounds like it's it's gotten o- overwhelmingly wonderful and and what's phenomenal about it is that it is um I've seen pictures of it and it's it's an absolutely joyful event it's um it's a celebration Yes it is celebration of peace and dancing and coming together and my job is to put a smile on the face of 25,000 people and also have the great uh, honor and distinction of being the poster designer every year as uh, in my capacity as a graphic illustrator I draw the poster every year and work with a computer artist and art direct it and this year the theme is the cosmic stew and we have like a a Michelangelo alien stirring the pot of humanity with all the <laughs> symbols and religions in the bowl which is uh, really the earth <laughs> Well, you know, that's exactly what we are, you know, yeah. and and it, what I find fascinating, uh, and and you know, I'll I'll sink back into into um, future esoterica here, or no, I, I can't remember which book it was in there. I they're they're both together as far as I'm concerned here. Um, you go into um, a lot of explanation of UFOs and yeah. and reverse engineering and. 
Um, I have found that those who have seen UFOs can't get them out of their system. Well, how could you? (laughs) Well, no, one landed on my campus when I was in college. Wow. And I saw it when it took off. It went right over the dorm. It blanked out the sky. I was probably, um, gosh, I'm terrible with distances. Um, but, but I was no more than 200 feet from it. Wow. And it, it hovered for a split second and then it went and it was gone. And the thing that amazed me that, that just, well, the whole thing amazed me, but what in retrospect I look back on, I realized that there was no air displacement when it went and it was huge. It, it should have sucked air all over the place, but it was it, no air displacement, no noise and, and no sonic boom. And it was the most amazing thing I have ever seen. It's what woke me up that we are not alone. It's what put me on this pathway that I've been on forever. And, and it, it didn't frighten me. Hmm. It it was it was kind of like, wow. <laughs> hmm. And and I know you've seen one. You wanna you wanna share your experience? Well, it wasn't actually a UFO. It was light phenomenon over Crater Lake, and this was July 1997. And in fact, uh, in a couple weeks I'm being flown up there to recreate this sighting at Crater Lake for the TV show Mysteries of the National Parks on the Travel Channel. I just uh, came back from New Mexico doing a Chaco Canyon episode and in this case they want me to come up to Crater Lake and go to the exact spot where I saw this light phenomenon and it was basically uh, it was just right after sunset, so it's still pretty light out, and I witnessed it with a couple other guys I was camping with, and there was uh, no starting point. It just appeared in the sky, and it was a straight white light streaking across the sky. It was no comet. It was more like a laser beam, and it broke off into perfectly square blips. I still can't quite figure out why but it was aiming straight towards the depths of the lake. So it appeared out of nowhere, and it disappeared out of nowhere. But it was definitely aiming right into the depths of one of the deepest lakes in North America. So myself and these other guys, we just fell to the ground laughing, just uh, couldn't believe what we saw. We all, later on that night, talked about it, and we all described it exactly the same way. But what was so amazing is we start running up the hill because we were camping in uh, the highest point at Crater Lake, which, again, is illegal, but uh-huh. useful in discretion. <laughs> yeah. And we saw it again over Mount Shasta about 30 miles to the south. It was amazing, the exact same light phenomenon. And this streak of white light was going right into Mount Shasta. I was just so curious as to what this could have been. And, of course, you can't really ask someone or find the kind of information, and the Internet was very young back then. Mm -hmm. So this really set me on my path to understand UFO and ET 
phenomenon and their interaction, the exopolitics with them in this world. And in fact, I write about it in the uh, introductory chapters of Future Esoteric. So uh, it, it was the kind of thing where I would have loved to have gotten an explanation on this. Of course, I didn't, but then I realized later on, I, I found out that most UFO sightings happen to be above or around volcanoes. Uh-huh. And the volcano just outside of Mexico City has had so many sightings, literally millions of people have witnessed UFO phenomenon in Mexico over this volcano. And the reasoning is that it could be because there are hollow cavities beneath volcanoes that perhaps they're able to transition through matter and hide in volcanoes. Perhaps they're using them as an energy source. Um, And in the case of Mount Shasta, there is a rumored underground extraterrestrial city called Telos that is supposed to have been there for many, many thousands of years. And indeed, there are so many strange phenomenon that occur around Mount Shasta. Not only in my book, Sacred Places North America, do I describe some of these mound sites, but also uh, quite a few of these what are called lenticular clouds. And those are the clouds that are shaped like UFOs, Uh which may exactly be like cloaking devices. Uh, Some friends of mine who live up there tell me they see these clouds come in from the west, and most of our weather in California comes from the ocean out west. But then sometimes these lenticular clouds will just go back the way they came, even against the wind. So it's really strange, uh, all the phenomenon that one can see up there at Mount Shasta area. But it, is, it, it really is interesting for the most part. Um, with the exception of, well, I, I, there, are, there are probably a lot of them, but the, the two that come to mind, um, you know, initially is Phoenix Lights and, mm-hmm. and that, that particular, um, occurrence had thousands and thousands of people that saw, saw the Phoenix Lights. Right. Um, and then the other is, which I, the, the one that I love is the Battle of Los Angeles in World War, uh, two, yep. where, where we attacked it and, and there were, there was even collateral damage. There, there were, um, there were deaths that were reported because, um, are the bombs and the missiles that were shot at the, at that, at those, at that or those. I don't know if it was more than one, but, but they bounced off and, and they peppered Los Angeles with shrapnel. Yeah. Yeah. I have a picture of it in, uh, future esoteric. I was I was fortunate to interview um, a man who was a child at the time, oh, wow. and and he lived near the beach. And when the sirens went off and everything, his mother, you know, pulled him inside and shoved him in a closet and stuff. And he crept out and he watched it. And and after the all clear, he and his friends went out to the beach and picked up the shrapnel. And and the army paid them for for all of the shrapnel that they picked up. Wow. But, uh, he, he was an amazing man. Um, but, but, um, I digress. That, that usually people who see UFOs, um, it's, it's not like usually large groups. It's, it's usually very small groups of people. And, and again, that term for eyes, for those with eyes to see and ears to hear, I'm wondering if, if there are some people who are just, 
tuned in and aware so that they see something as opposed to others who just aren't there on a consciousness level. And this is, is in no way judgment of somebody's level of consciousness. It's just that maybe that door wasn't open at that moment in time. Hmm. You know, there's a story of Columbus and the first sailors who came to the Caribbean islands. And when their boat was offshore, Hispaniola, that the Indians claimed that they couldn't see the ship, that they didn't know what it was, so they didn't see it. And that could be true with the UFO phenomenon today, when there are things that are totally inexplicable. Maybe we don't see it, or only those people with eyes to see and ears to hear can perceive it. And it it turned out that my experience at Crater Lake, three of us saw it, three of us did not nor did they see the one over Mount Shasta uh, a few minutes later. So the three of us that did see it saw them both, but the other ones that didn't see it missed them both. That's that's fascinating. You you do you know that Columbus saw a um a glowing light under the sea that 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 came up out of the sea and it's in his diaries. Oh wow. His, I didn't know his, that. His logs he also um, captured a giant and was trying to take it back with him, but the giant jumped overboard and swam to shore. So, um, but but yeah, no, that it's it's the UFO sighting that, that is definitely in his logs, and um, so that so that you know at least at least back then there were there they were under the water as well. I I think what what fascinates me the most not not that there there are UFOs and, and ETs because you know. Yeah, of course. Um, in this country, though, uh, our government seems to deny it, but, but it's, it's definitely a reality. And you speak of, of how there have actually been, um, wars between the different factions of the ETs underground. Right. Well, that, that there's been several skirmishes in some of these underground bases, most, uh, predominantly at Dulce, New Mexico, under the Arcalata Mesa, which is what's called a legacy base, which is a base that goes beyond our deep underground military bases and the tunneling that's been done in the last few decades. These are mostly, the entrances are natural cave entrances, but then they're burrowed out by the ET inhabitants. I'm uh, reading Anthony Sanchez's book right now called UFO Highway, and he interviews a, a high colonel who was uh, stationed at Dulce and speaks of not only uh, the first altercation in 1940, but also the bigger altercation in 1979. And this is also what Philip Schneider uh, spoke of and actually was uh, physically harmed. You can watch his videos on YouTube. Him... Uh, Philip Schneider, similar to uh, William Cooper, who was one of the the first uh, Navy intelligence whistleblowers, both of them were killed. And oftentimes when a whistleblower dies a very violent death, uh, in in the case of Philip Schneider, a very mysterious death, I happen to think that they uh, were probably telling the truth. Mm -hmm. And they were purposefully... uh, executed to shut him up and this happens time and time again in uh, the ufo whistleblower community uh, carla turner 
spoke about uh, abductions. She was warned to stop. She didn't. She died of a very fast-acting cancer that took her life uh, within a few weeks. There are other uh, whistleblowers, one that I knew, named uh, um, Smith. And he was he was uh, doing weather warfare. And he went up to speak on the show Conspiracy Theory and was talking about how HARP and chemtrails may be working in conjunction. Uh, and one of the purposes may be to get into our heads. And this mm-hmm. kind of goes back to this uh, Project Bluebeam and maybe some kind of hallucination in the sky is going to be followed with uh, sounds in our head. And Jerry Smith died of a very mysterious uh, virus within weeks of him being on Conspiracy Theory with Jesse Ventura. And this was a friend of mine. We were canoe partners in Kempton, Illinois. So you know when it when it touches close to home like that, it's uh, it's a little bit frightening. But you know I think we just have to keep fighting the good fight and doing our best to get information out there because we have a right to know. Well, yeah, and and in a single year, um, Philip Copens died of of a fast fast act uh, fast acting um, cancer, and so did Patrick Cook. Yep. Um, both of them just zap and both of them very outspoken about, about the aliens and who they actually were and what they actually were. You go into, um, amazing detail as to the different kinds of aliens. Most people just have heard about the Greys and maybe the Nordics. I think that, um, Billy Meyer has been in communication with a, with a Nordic or yeah. or the Nordic people. Um, also, um, Reverend Michael Carter as well. Uh, I think he's also been in in contact with a reptilian. Um, but but aside from that, there are there are many 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 other um, just like there are. Are you know Canadians and and Americans and French people and Irish people? There appear to be as many different varieties of aliens that are here on the planet that that most people don't hear about. They hear about the Greys and they hear about the um, reptilians, but they don't hear about all of the others. How come? Well, because those are the ones that are the most hands-on. Those two that you mentioned, the reptilians and the greys, are the ones who are interacting with humans the most and have their own agenda. Uh, so the other ones, and my understanding, it's as high as 57 species are actively either monitoring or hands-on uh, extracting some of the reptilians from the planet in order to give humans a fair chance because we really don't have a fair chance against fourth dimensional entities when we don't even know what a fourth dimensional entity is, Uh let alone how we're going to uh, get rid of them, at least to the point where we can evolve on our own. So if we make mistakes, it'll be our own mistakes, not the mistakes that they want us to make. And so this kind of goes pretty deep into it, but um, this is based on... Not only uh, David Wilcock spoke, speaks about the, the blue avians 
and he now has uh, a couple people who are whistleblowers out of the secret space program that are on uh, his show on Gaim TV, and he writes about them, his books and so forth. But it also uh, goes back to as far back as the Nazis were the first ones who interceded with extraterrestrials, uh, the Arcturians and others that they were actually channeling back in the Vril Society after World War I. There was this woman named Maria Orsic, and she was uh, working with some other psychics in this old hunting lodge in southern Germany in the Alps. And they were able to start channeling the designs for not only extraterrestrial craft, but free energy devices and other things. And this was at a time when uh, Germany looked like it was going to be a utopia. And then, of course, the Third Reich took over and uh, Adolf Hitler was a member of the Thule Society. Heinrich Himmler, deeply involved in the occult. They -hmm. believed in ley lines all over the planet. They did seances. The SS were very much a secret society. Uh, he even had a, a castle called Wee Weaselberg in Germany that is very steeped in the occult. And they were able to extract very high technology. Not only that, but they had their own downed craft in the Black Forest region of Germany. And Mussolini allowed the German scientists to go in there and extract a UFO that came down in Italy. So they've been backward engineering since at least the 1930s, probably much earlier. And they got to the point where they were creating very exotic craft towards the end of World War II. But when it was pretty clear that Germany was going to lose the war, a lot of these very exotic craft just disappeared. And some have presumed that they were taken in some of the larger U-boat submarines to a secret base in Antarctica called Base 332. And I was I was down in L.A. in January uh, taping the new season nine of uh, Ancient Aliens. And one of the shows that I was speaking on was Antarctica, as well as Dr. Michael Sala, who was on after me that day. And we had an opportunity to have lunch together and uh, talk about a lot of these deep... Uh, exopolitics subjects and it really is quite involved it is quite a show right now that's happening here on earth that is very interesting to other extraterrestrial and multi-dimensional species that are monitoring our planet and let's just say your lifetime is very very important to do the right thing to help humanity and to help hopefully free our fellow humans from this bondage that we've been under for quite a long time. Yeah, I, I know that um, you, you um, casually dropped a phrase that I'm sure people's ears perked up with. And, and you know, before I, before I go back to that, so, so, so Germany actually had a downed UFO uh, at least a decade, if not more, before we did. Correct. So they were definitely ahead of us. Okay. Yes. Okay. So and they also you, made it to the moon before we did. I I don't doubt that at all. <laughs> There's I, still a base on the backside, the dark side of the moon, that's in the shape of a swastika. Oh wow. We'll we'll uh, learn about it someday. Um. 
Well, what, what, what gets you is that, that, again, we have been held in the dark for so long yes. that, that, you know, you just, it, it, it's, it boggles the mind. But you, the term I'm, I'm coming back to is secret space program. The United States, according, according to what you've learned, we have a secret space program, but it's not what I find fascinating is, it's a secret space program. It's out there. It it is around the planet, at, but but it's it's not there to interfere with our petty wars. It's out there to protect us from using mass weapons of mass destruction, or 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 to protect the planet from things coming in at us. It, it's is that the correct understanding? Yeah, it's called Solar Warden. And it is the Earthlings in conjunction with all of the developed nations. China is in on it. Russia is in on it. Of course, the U.S. is playing a leading role. The European Space Agency is in on it. And they are taking the task of controlling this uh, solar system, or at least the orbits of uh, the Moon and Earth. We have bases on Mars as we speak. They've been there for decades. We have the ability to transport uh, via the what's called the jump room, which is teleportation. Mm-hmm. And I've been on an interview with uh, Andrew Basaggio before. He was a, a child protege of some of these programs. If you want to know more, recommend you look into his story. I had dinner with uh, Jacques Vallee and Richard Dolan in January. And Richard Dolan is uh, the person who coined the phrase secret space program and the breakaway civilization of humans who have basically devoted themselves to living on some of these craft that are in our solar system and some of the bases on the moon and Mars. And uh, I'm sure you've heard of uh, the gentleman in in the UK named Gary McKinnon who was uh, getting into the Johnson uh, Building Number Eight, the NASA building, where uh, he was tipped off on Stephen Greer's disclosure uh, in 2001 that the, that Building Eight was doing airbrushing, that they were uh, eliminating any sign of UFOs from some of the images that were being taken in outer space, and he came across them, but he also came across the ledgers where. There were uh, non-terrestrial officers. He also found that there were these different spacecraft, cigar-shaped craft, um, our own disks, as well as the triangular craft. Now, you mentioned uh, the Phoenix Lights before. Uh And I know some people in Arizona that, that saw it, and it was perfectly quiet. It just moved slowly across the sky, of course, it, it went over Phoenix. It c- continued north. This is what a lot of people don't know. It got all the way up to Flagstaff, which is just north of Sedona, and it made a left turn. Where do you think it was going? Area 51. Right to Area 51. <laughs> yeah. So it's probably one of ours. And that's the question these days. When people see phenomenon or craft, is it ours or is it theirs? And most people say, by far the majority of sightings are our own secret space program crafts. 
Wow. Now, now, these people in the space program, obviously, they don't come home on leave. No, they don't. And they basically, uh, my friend David Hatcher Childress, who we had a long conversation about it once, he told me that they're getting the soldiers for the breakaway civilization out of the submarine corps. So they're coming from the Navy because they're already used to working in confined spaces and under pressurized environments. And they're looking for people that do not have children, that are not married, and hopefully come from like a broken family. So they really don't have many ties here on Earth. And then they're groomed specifically to accept this mission. And part of the terms of the mission is they could be gone for a very, very long time. And I mentioned uh, David Wilcock is interviewing this, this guy named uh, Corey Good. And he came from the secret space program. Indeed, he was out there for many years. And for some reason, they're allowing this guy to talk because I think if they really wanted to shut him up, they probably could have. But disclosure is so imminent, it is, has to happen probably much sooner than later that they, they're going to have to let these leaks go, and they can't keep killing people off. Um, no, that's, that's tacky. Who was yeah. the last famous person that was in the jump room? Well, apparently Barry Silertoro was in the <laughs> jump room program, and, of course, he went on to take another name. Yes, he did. And he worked with Andrew Basaggio in uh, going to Mars. So apparently Barack Obama himself has been on the red planet and his family, well, his mother and through this Satoro line in Indonesia were already working hand in fist with the CIA. So he was already groomed from a very young age. And then once he uh, went to Occidental College in Los Angeles, one of the most famous jump rooms was in El Segundo, California, which is right next to the LAX airport. Uh And the Hughes Aerospace Building had a jump room that went up to Mars. And that's where young Barry Satoro made his jump. (laughs) Now, is is the jump room in any way similar to um, the the Montauk Project? Well, there are some similarities. And uh, Peter Moon, who has done a lot of the Montauk books. He's a good friend of mine, too. We've met several times. I'd love to get up there to Montauk and uh, go tour the facility as much as we can. Well, Montauk was was different. Montauk was more of an extension of Uh MKUltra, and they were more involved, some of the deeper programs, with mind control and with using some of these devices which are used on gray ET craft, such as the chair itself interacts with the body, as well as these headbands that they would put on. And what really stumped the scientists when they were first finding some of these craft is that they didn't have windows. They didn't have pilot windows. So it was always such a mystery how they were able to pilot these crafts. Well, it turns out that the suits they wear and the headbands on their head and their hands on these specific plates makes the pilot himself or herself part of the craft. They're bio 
engineered to be interfacing with the mind of the pilot themselves. And that's basically how these crafts are flown, through mental processes, through cognition. And this is what they were very interested in learning at Montauk, was how the mind was able to create matter, was able to create even some of these cryptozoology creatures. And one of the strangest stories that comes out of Montauk is someone was in what was called the Montauk chair, and I do describe this in Future Esoteric, and he was able to envision these crypto creatures. And in fact, they did run around from the base, and I think a few even got into town, but for a very short period, and then they disappeared again. But they were able to find a way to interface the human mind with the material world and to create things. And this sounds very, very strange, and it probably is. But this is the story that I'm getting from uh, Preston Nichols, who worked with uh, Peter Moon, as well as uh, Duncan Cameron, who was one of the two brothers who jumped off the ship during the Philadelphia experiment. And these guys showed up right there at Camp Hero, which is on the tip of Montauk, uh -huh. exactly 40 years later. So they, when they jumped off that ship, which was transitioning through space-time, like a tear in space-time, these two brothers showed up 40 years later. They thought they were still in 1943. And in fact, they were in 1983. And there were people there that knew they were coming, so they were intercepted right away and brought into Montauk. And uh, then Duncan Cameron and his brother, who went by the name Al Bielik, they became whistleblowers. And uh, if anybody finds this part of the story interesting, I'd recommend you listen to their uh, multiple videos on YouTube that you can uh, check well, these guys out. It's kind of interesting that, that um, the Montauk Project and Project, and Project Pegasus um, we're basically utilizing children. Yes. Um, is there some reason why children are, are more adaptable to this kind? And for those who don't know, Project Pegasus was a time travel and teleportation program. Correct. And, and uh, listening to some of Andrew Basaggio's videos could uh, explain it much more in depth. But in the case of Andrew Basaggio and his involvement with Project Pegasus, he said they chose uh, adolescent boys for a number of reasons. One, they were a little bit smaller so they could get through a little easier. Mm -hmm. uh, and in the case of Andrew Basaggio, who went to see and hear the Gettysburg Address, and in fact he claims that he is that boy wearing the great big shoes because the one thing you have to do when you go through these jump rooms is you have to go through either just in your underwear, naked, or very little clothes, but certainly barefoot. Uh -huh. And he transitioned. They knew exactly where to put him just outside of where Lincoln was about to give the Gettysburg Address. He had no shoes on, so he had to find some adult shoes off of a dead soldier and walk into Gettysburg. And I just heard a, a recent interview with him, and he was saying 
and I went and looked at the photo that next to him, you can kind of see the outline of a gray alien. Yeah, you can. Yeah, and so he said that, yeah, there's all sorts of entities, and they're watching and sometimes even following around when when he would do these uh, Project Pegasus experiments. And, of course, his dad was also in on it, and his dad got Andrew into the program, and uh, he did did quite extraordinary things. Didn't his dad also teleport as well, though, I thought? Yes, he did, and they would do it together, and they would go from – New Mexico to uh, another base in Georgia quite regularly. It would just take uh, five or ten minutes to go that distance, and it's about that or a little bit longer to go to Mars. So teleportation is quite instantaneous, but not quite the snap of a finger. It does take a few minutes, apparently. Well, isn't that what happened with the Philadelphia Project? So the Philadelphia experiment, this was actually – predicated on Tesla technology. In fact, Tesla was even there for the very first one, and it said that he pulled the plug on it and and tried to sabotage it because he saw the direction it was going and he wasn't uh, satisfied that this was truly with benevolent motives, shall we say. Uh And he wanted to basically uh, take his technology out, but it wasn't uh, possible, and they were able to rig it up. And so it was... uh, the second or third time that uh, they had disappeared from the Philadelphia shipyard. The ship had reappeared in Norfolk, Virginia shipyard. And there was a ship there and people saw it appear. And then it started coming back and then somebody panicked on the Philadelphia side and and tried to shut it down prematurely. And it was around that time that the uh, two brothers jumped off the boat and when the ship did reappear, there were people who were forged into the metal, I mean, screaming in pain. Some were dead, uh-huh. uh, and they just didn't uh, transition back in correctly, and it was very, very painful. So in, in many ways, the Philadelphia experiment was a, a huge success and a huge failure all at once because they finally did figure out how to teletransport large objects like a ship and a crew, but with great costs and well, with great pain. Weren't they initially just trying to cloak the ship? That's correct. That, that was the whole idea of doing it. But then when they got and, – and this, is, this corresponds with how UFO craft fly, and I have a chapter in Future Esoteric called To Fly a UFO. Mm-hmm. And basically when you get counter-rotating – magnetic field with counter-rotating devices, usually in the case of ET craft, it could be magnets. But when it's something spinning around and it goes so fast, close to the speed of light, not only does it render the object less weight than it has, and there's plenty of videos where you can see actual levitation being done by scientists, frogs that are just hovering in the air, all the way up to bowling balls and all things small, but then they scaled it up. So when you when you meet meet these uh, this qualification of getting two fields spinning very very quickly, that the matter within it starts to basically transition up either into the next dimension or 
into light speed as popularized in Star Wars films. And basically, as far as piloting a craft, you become like a light being in uh-huh. these crafts. And this is why I was reading in Nexus magazine a few years ago, this is why the secret space program has hit a, a brick wall. Because most of the pilots that they've trained to be in the breakaway civilization are coming out of the military. So they've been trained to shoot and kill and and be violent against enemies. And so when they transition up to this condition where they're now in their light bodies, well, you have to be of a Buddha nature to go anywhere. So they're able to get up to that speed, but then they just get bounced right back because the pilots are not of an enlightened type of nature. They're soldiers. So this has been a a big uh, problem as far as uh, our own secret space program going out and exploring the universe. Uh, my understanding is we're pretty much confined just to this solar system. Well, yeah, and it, it, it's. I think what's fascinating to me is, um, and again, in my opinion, and it's only my opinion, and I, I don't have any expertise, it's just uh, the way I figure it has to happen. I really, it, my feeling is that these crafts, um, are are doing dimensional shifts. They're not really yeah. traveling in a straight line anywhere. They're shifting in dimensional shifting, and that's why when we see things like crop circles, I I, I think something shifts in and creates whatever pattern it's going to create, and then shifts out. And 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 I do think that the crop circles, the ones that are real, I think they're trying to leave us almost pieces of a machine. They're so often there are symbols that, 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 that look like they are pieces of a machine that, that if we could create and put together, they would help us to understand something that we're working on. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, and I have a chapter on crop circles in Future Esoteric. What's more, when UFOs are sighted, moving away very quickly, they make a 90-degree angle. Uh-huh. Make that quick turn, and then they disappear. So it's that 90-degree angle to shift into the next dimension. Yeah, I, I would, I, I, you know, I, I'm not really sure about that, but, but what I am sure of is that when, when a crop circle is created, there is a smell of, uh, there is a smell of ozone in the air. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the grass or, or whatever it is, is bent, not broken. Yes. And what even, what's even cooler is that animals won't go into it. Animals won't eat it. It, it's almost as though it has been, um, sterilized to the point that there's nothing nutritional there for even bugs to want to play with. Right. And then if you were to walk into a crop circle right after it's freshly formed, compasses would just spin out of control even if you fly over in an airplane all Mm -hmm. the dials will just stop functioning until you're out of that zone yeah and i've been very fortunate there was one that was formed in virginia and i got i I was able to go into it shortly after it was formed and it it you have the feeling as though um 
uh, going back to Get Smart, which dates me, um, that, that there's a cone of silence there. There mm. is a sense of peace and quiet and tranquility and, and, and yes, nothing works. You know, cell phones don't work. Watches don't work. Um, it's, it's, it's an amazing feeling and it's the same feeling and, and, and the smell of ozone is, is amazing. Hmm. O- ozone is definitely there and, and for those who don't know the smell of it, it's, it's what you smell after a fresh rain or after lightning has been around. It's, it's, there's ozone in the air. Um, it gives you the same feeling, um, in the stone chambers that are here in New England that nobody knows about you know, about where they came from, that same sense of peace and tranquility and quiet. And um, in a lot of the stone chambers as well, there mm-hmm. there are magnetic anomalies in their, in their entranceways. Yep. I so, did a DVD on the stone chambers, by the way. You can find it only on uh, cccpublishing.com or Amazon. I have them listed, but they're called the prehistoric stone chambers of New England. And I've been to Gungiwamp several times right there uh-huh. in Connecticut. Well, and, I tell you uh, what, wow, you're absolutely right. They're just incredible. Yeah, I'll watch, I'll watch your DVD if you watch mine. You got um, it. I, I did one too. <laughs> on the stone chambers? On the stone chambers. Oh, yeah. how cool. I think I sent you the link on Skype. Um, but, but it, yeah, the stone chambers are ph- phenomenal. And, and, um, you know, just to, to, they, they have, the stones that they're made out of are, it, they're, they're dry construction. Yep. And there's no mortar or anything. And they're corbelled construction. And corbelled construction was last seen in this area, um, 3,000 years ago from the Phoenicians. Um, but the stones are so heavy that they can't, you know, they're, they're massive. And you can't say giants created them because they're small. Hmm. Um, but, but nobody knows why they're there and, and who made them. And it's, it's, it's interesting because it, um, in, in the, um, Stonehenge of, of, you know, in, in American Stonehenge, the largest stone there in that complex is bigger than the largest stone in the Great Pyramid. Hmm. And almost all of the stones are of a quartz um, nature. They're they're yep. granite, and they have a lot of quartz in them. So, so there there are similarities all over the world, and and so and I'm not saying aliens built these chambers because I don't think they did, but I'm pretty sure that that aliens or star people had to help with the Great Pyramid, and you know, to my knowledge, the pyramids were never meant to be burial chambers. No. They weren't. So, so that, you know, you kind of wonder, how did they get those stones from their quarries down, down the Nile to where they were? Um, it, it, there had to be giants or extraterrestrial technology involved, very much like the, the, uh, technology that, that was used to do the coral castle down in Florida. That's right. Auditive levitation. Just like a opera singer can shatter a wine glass with their voice, there are ways to render matter weightless using auditive sounds, vibrations, and frequencies. 
and the Tibetans were able to do it. I have a chapter in Future Esoteric called Secret Sciences about a Swedish scientist doctor who went on call to help a Tibetan Lama by request. And one day they took him out to this field and they had one half circle of uh, drummers, another were on horns, and another were chanters. So the whole monastery cleared out. They knew what to do. There was a rock right in the middle of that circle and there was a cliff about a quarter mile away and up with some monks up on a ledge. And I've been studying this for quite a while and I just had a big breakthrough when I heard another uh, version of someone describing what uh, this doctor had seen. And basically when they had reached this cacophony of sound, all heads looked up and right at that moment the rock also went up into the air and then it just went right over the cliff face and then came down. That's what's called auditive levitation. And I do believe that Ed Lee Scalian, who built the Coral Castle down in Florida, which, by the way, is the only modern megalithic monument in the world that's been built in the last hundred years, as well as all the megalithic monuments, some of which, like Baalbek in Lebanon, which I describe mm -hmm. in my book, Sacred Places Around the World, has some stones that are still in the quarry as well as some that are built into the foundation of Baalbek, Lebanon itself, that are so big that even the largest modern crane today cannot move them. Yet they not only moved them out of the quarry, but they fitted them perfectly above other stones. So there was some technology on this planet that uh, was very high nature, and we're still grappling to understand how it was done. Now, now, do you think we're we're grappling to understand how it was done or we're grappling to remember how it was done? Because <laughs> the one question I, I asked you beforehand was, um, are the ETs our creators or just another reflection of us from another time or dimension? And that's a great question, and I have been thinking about it. And I would have to say it's all of the above and maybe even more because what I've come to understand, Barbara, is the universe is very complex as well as very populated, not just in this dense third-dimensional realm where we can only perceive a certain sound wave variance. We can only see in a certain way. You know, there, there's the infrared on one side and the ultraviolet on the other that we can't perceive, just in the same way that a dog can hear a dog whistle, but humans can't. Right. There is just so much out there, so much out there that we can't perceive. But that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. In fact, it does exist, and it's our challenge to try to understand what that is. I just, I just feel that, you know, we only use one of our paired strands of DNA and all the others have to be for something. Yeah. And, and I really feel that, that, that instead of looking for a hall of records, um, people should pay attention to the fact that I, I do believe we carry the hall of records with us and it's accessing it. That is, it, that is the big thing that, that the final frontier is not out there, but it's in there. 
and and it's a matter of remembering it and then accessing it and then learning learning the philosophy and then then the, the the biggest most important part walking the talk that creates it and manifests it that's right well said here here <laughs> in service to others exactly exactly i i truly believe that that when we actually all realize that that we are one and we're even one with the star people and the all of all of those creatures out there we're all we all come from the same source yeah. and that said i want to thank you so much this has been a fabulous show Thank you so much, Barbara, and we'll have to do it again sometime. We just scratched the surface. Absolutely. Good night now. Have a good night.